0: You're listening to audio from Ascend Church. For more information about Ascend or to access more gospel-centered tools to grow as a disciple of Christ, visit ascendkc.org. Blessed is the man who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. man who delights in the law of the Lord, and meditates on his law day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prospers. pray with me, Father, we see even in these images on the screen a contrast, whether it be the the calm waters or the rustling leaves, we, we see a contrast in those images with the hustle and bustle of our busy lives, cars flying by us people busily hurrying through checkout lines, smartphones being checked. And yet we find in these images a reminder that in you we find rest. Surely there is the temptation for us to, even in that term rest, apply our own understanding and expectations as though rest is required be exclusive from labor as though rest means only when work ceases and yet when we study your word we recognize that even in the midst of labor intensive seasons we still can find rest and the psalms are an opportunity to equip us toward that end. Would you grant to us understanding? Would you grant to us a delight? Would you grant to us the ability to apply what we learned this summer? So that no matter what the season of life may include, whether extremely busy or not as much, that we would be able to find our rest in Christ. I sense that we all need that. this in Jesus' name and according to the power of your Holy Spirit, amen. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 1, and if you don't have a Bible, you can reach in the seats in front of you and find Psalm 1 on page 448. So appreciate Chad preaching last week and reminding us as a church of one of the essential pillars of our church. Who we are is a church committed to the study, the understanding, and the application of God's Word. Sally and I attended both services, and we sat kind of in the back, and we able to be around a lot of people that we uh, didn't know very well, faces we didn't recognize. And so it dawned on me during this week to reflect on what would it be like to be new to Ascend Church, to hear the preaching that happens every week, to see the books that we have out in the Resource Center, to come to the small groups, and to be digging into God's Word at a pretty deep level, what would that be like? And I, I think the temptation might be that you might think that it's too deep for you, that it's too academic for you. But I thought of this analogy. When I, when I played baseball growing up, I, I remember there were certain coaches that basically coached us at a relatively elementary level. They didn't teach us any of the advanced skills and made sure that practices were easy and were fun, but I remember those coaches didn't really develop us as players. Then there were coaches who committed to teaching more advanced skills, teaching more advanced concepts of the game of baseball. Those coaches were coaches that I initially cursed, not unbiblically, but I look back now and see they were my favorites. They were my favorites because they they valued my ability to learn. They valued the opportunity for me as a player to grow and to become advanced. And and listen, beloved, that's why I preach the way that I do. That's why we're committed to God's Word the way that we are. We we don't want cotton-candy Christians. We live in a day where we need the strong foundation of the Word of God, a a day when our our roots need to be planted deep in the waters of God, and a a Jesus and a prayer, a a song and a prayer, a verse and multiple illustrations for 20 minutes does not achieve that. So, So what I'm trying to do and what we're trying to do in our commitment to what Chad preached last week is to stretch us, to make sure that the Jesus that we are comprehending is the Jesus of Scripture, not just a, a Jesus who's a genie in a bottle. Not just a Jesus who gets us, but we don't necessarily see what that actually means. We want to make sure that we are stretching ourselves week in and week out. And some weeks, like that coach that pushes you, it may not be as easy to understand, but beloved, if you will invest in a lifetime of stretching and learning, you will be what the psalmist says is a blessed individual. And that's why we're studying the Psalms this summer. That's why we preach the way that we do. And I pray that for you and for me, it will continue to grow the depths of our knowledge of who Christ is and his word. So the book of Psalms. Remember a few years ago, I was with a pastor friend and his family. They, they came up through Kansas City and were with us. And in the evening, we were all sitting around in our living room talking about life, talking about ministry, and, and talking about Scripture. I hope you have friends like that. We got on the subject of what, what is your favorite book or, or what's the, the book of the Bible that has most impacted you? And my friend immediately said Psalms and that's not surprising because his ministry career started off as a worship leader. And my response, maybe it's because my personality leans me toward thinking the opposite of what was just said, was I like Leviticus. And, and it was true, and especially in that season of my life, I, I, I was really impacted by that because I, I love systems. I love instruction. I, I love infrastructure. I, I love entrails being waved. <laughs> no, I don't. In fact, I, I said to somebody the other day, I love Leviticus because you had me at entrails. But what I love about entrails is the way that if you realize what is actually going on there, it's not about the ultimate literal entrails. It's about what they're pointing us to, which is Christ. And so I told him, I love Leviticus. And he looked at me the same way I looked at him when he said he loved the Psalms. I told him, I don't understand the Psalms. They're a bunch of song lyrics and poetry. And he said, Jeff, dig deeper. And so I did. And that combined with more years of preaching and studying have brought me to a place where the Psalms are one of my faves. And what my prayer is, is that as we unpack the Psalms this summer, either it will be rekindled as your favorite or it will become one of your favorite because of what it provides. Look at the big idea in your notes. The Psalms are intended to provide a framework. I mean, I don't know about you, but I I look at the Psalms and there's there's 150 of them. Some of them are by David, some of them are by Asaph, some of them are by by Solomon and Moses, and they're in different book structures, and it can be very difficult to understand. But if we understand at the onset that it's a, a framework, then we can see what the framework is intended to provide, and that's this. So that we can understand, delight in, and live according to, look at what it says in your notes, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might be familiar with the Old Testament and the New Testament and recognize that the, the Psalms were written way before Jesus came on the scene. And while there were prophecies at this point that pointed toward a Messiah, the full understanding of who Jesus would be was not comprehended. So how can my statement be true that the Psalms are intended to be a framework for us to understand, delight in, and live according to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, today we'll lay the foundation for that, and the rest of the summer we'll fill in the meat. There are four benefits to studying the book of Psalms. The first one is this, the psalms serve as a reminder. The psalms serve as a reminder. Psalm 1 and 2, let me go ahead and read these. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying... you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled blessed are those who take refuge in him now in these two psalms there are words that challenge us words that invite us to dig deeper words like blessed words like wicked words like delight Words like prosper. But the question that we probably ask, as even I was reading, is what does this mean to you? What does this mean to me? And that is a problem. Listen, friends, if the first thing that we do in reading this poetry, if the first thing that we do in reading these song lyrics is ask the question, what does it mean to me, or what does it mean to you, then we are in dangerous territory. The more important question is to ask, what does it actually mean? Ben asked me this week, are you going to have to change your mindset as you preach through Psalms versus Revelation? And my immediate answer quickly was no. And the reason for that is because what I've been saying throughout our study of the book of Revelation, we use the same tools to interpret Revelation as we do the other 65 books. And the same thing is true with Psalms. And you may say, well, wait, Pastor, you just said that the Psalms are song lyrics and poetry when we know that Revelation is primarily apocalyptic prophecy. But the tools to which I am referring are the tools that apply whether you're studying Genesis, Joel, Habakkuk, Matthew, or Revelation." And there are three tools. I would encourage you to write these down. The first one is the historical tool. The Psalms give us that reminder. In fact, the superscriptions, if you're looking at a Psalm, you're going to see a superscription. In the English Standard Version, it is denoted by all caps lettering, and it goes before verse 1. It usually identifies the author or a historical context that drives the Psalm. And I believe that these are inspired by the Holy Spirit. The reason for that is the way that other authors of Scripture refer to these superscriptions. And and when we look at these superscriptions, we see that nearly 75 of them were written by David. That tells us something that nearly half of these were assembled by and written by David and often include a historical context. That's important for us because it reminds us that when we study the Bible, we first ask, what is the historical context of the original author and the original audience so that we can be on a path toward accurately understanding the text? The historical tool. Assists us with that. But then number two, the grammatical tool. The grammatical tool includes the words, the structure of the language, the literary devices. We, we read the Song of Solomon and interpret it different, in a different way than we do Acts, and yet we're using the same tools. What we're acknowledging is that the Song of Solomon was written as poetry, Acts was written as history, and so we're using these tools so that when we read a passage in Song of Solomon, or when we read a passage in Acts, before we get to what does it mean to us, we're asking the question, what does it accurately mean? The third tool is the theological tool, which means that we investigate the rest of Scripture, We investigate the progress of Revelation. Remember back in Revelation 12 where we read about a dragon who sweeps his tail and brings down a third of the stars, if we're not considering the theology and the rest of Scripture, we might draw conclusions based on just that phrase that don't bear up with the rest of Scripture. And when we look at that phrase, we ask, is it found elsewhere in Scripture? And as I said, Daniel 8.10 gives us almost exactly the same phrase, so that assists us so that as we're reading the passage of Scripture, we can move toward an accurate understanding. Another tool that Psalms gives us to help us theologically is the fact that it is assembled in five books. In fact, some of your translations include the five books at the top of the sections. And you can see in the image taken from Jim Hamilton's commentary on the book of Psalms that it actually looks like a chiastic structure, doesn't it? A chiasm, the Greek letter X It was a literary device that the beginning and the end paralleled each other, and then the middle paralleled each other, moving us toward the center point, which is the point of a book, the point of a passage. And so it's a strong argument and proposal that the point of the book of Psalms is the end of the historical Davidic house, which we'll see that in Revelation 21 and 22. All of these are reminders for us to be able to accurately understand God's Word. Let me say it this way. Another commentator said that the book of Psalms is essentially like a compilation of photos. If you're going to put photos together to create a collage of your entire life, you're going to be intentional with those photos. You're going to select photos for the purpose of accurately and intentionally conveying your life. And you might put photos out of order. You might group photos together, but it all serves the purpose of accurately and intentionally conveying your life. That's what David started out doing. He put together experiences in his life. We'll see in just a moment. He put together themes from his own life and from Scripture so that the reader could accurately understand God's Word. But just as we put together a collage of photos, at some point we would need help because we would die. And so somebody would have to come after us to be able to start following the pattern that we set up to add photos, to add their own photos. That's what the book of Psalms is. David started putting together the collage, but then others picked it up after him, seeing the patterns that he was developing and adding Psalms by Asaph, adding Psalms by Solomon, adding Psalms by Moses, and some by unknown authors to accomplish this 150-psalm book that achieves a purpose. Here's the purpose. I'll ask the team to put this up on the screen. To teach the character of God, human condition, and God's plan for redemptive history that is consistent with the scripture of his day in a creative way that would lead to memorization, meditation, and application. I hear people talk about how it's challenging to memorize God's word. I get it. The psalms are intended to assist. Notice how short they are, typically, except for Psalm 119. But even Psalm 119, have you ever noticed that it's together in groups and it all is according to the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet. The psalmists were putting together these psalms so that we could understand and memorize and meditate on God's word in a very creative way. Oh, friends, the psalms provide for us the reminder of the value of God's word, how to study God's word, how to understand it in a very manageable and creative way. Number two, the Psalms provide repetition. In fact, I hope you're still in Psalm 1. Look at Psalm 1, verse 1. Would you all just bless me by looking down at the text so that I can see how many baldies we have out there? Just kidding. Here's a micro example of repetition. Verse 1, blessed is the man. Look at the end of Psalm 2, verse 12. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. This repetition shows us that the author of Psalms 1 and 2 intends for the sandwich bread to be blessed and the meat to be how to be blessed. Blessed. So the Psalms provide repetitions in words and in context to help teach us God's Word. But so does the rest of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Have you noticed if you've ever had a a Bible reading plan from Genesis to Revelation that you can't get far into Genesis without recognizing, huh, I think I've seen this before. I think I've seen this story event before. I think I've seen God respond to humans this way. I think I've seen humans respond to God this way. And that's the entire Bible. Repetition, repetition, repetition. And one of the ways the Bible does this is the same way the Psalms do this, and that is by drawing out themes. Let me give you three themes that the Psalms focus on, that so does the rest of the Bible. The first one is the theme of king, the theme of a king. In fact, we're introduced to this theme all the way back in Genesis 1 where the Creator said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, exercising dominion over it. That phrase is a kingly term. Then in Genesis 17 and verse 6, Abraham is told that from you kings will come as descendants. Psalm 4, or Genesis 49, as Jacob was giving out the blessings to his 12 sons, he said to Judah, a scepter will come from your line. Numbers 23, Numbers 24, we're, we're drawn to the fact that kings have a focus of a theme in Scripture. In fact, you can write down Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 through 20, where Moses is looking forward to a day when the king, Israel, will actually have a king. And, and he's saying the king is to be characterized as being a man of Scripture, Being a man who studies scripture, who understands scripture, who lives out scripture, who teaches scripture, why do you think the author of Judges continually said, everyone did what was right in their own eyes because there was no what? King, this theme continues all throughout scripture and so does it in the book of Psalms. David is constantly referring to his life as a king, the suffering he experienced as a king, the perspective he had as a king, reinforcing the repetition of this theme of king. Psalm 2, that we'll study in a few weeks in more detail, is one of the most important kingly psalms. All of this repeating the theme of king, pointing us to the ultimate king, Jesus Christ. But there's a second theme that we see repeated in Psalms, as well as the rest of the Bible. That is the theme of the temple, the place where God dwelled, where he dwelt with his people, and his people dwelled with them. And this is all over the Bible. Genesis 3.8 uses the term that the Lord walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden and the cool of the day. That term is used again in Leviticus 26, 11 and 12 to refer to the tabernacle and what God would do in the tabernacle. That Hebrew term is then translated in Greek in 1 Corinthians 3.16 to show that God is actually doing that in us through the Holy Spirit. And this theme of the temple continues on all the way to Revelation Twenty-one, verse 3. This is intended to be repetition for us, and the Psalms constantly refer to the temple. In fact, isn't it interesting that Psalm 19, that talks about the creation, actually alludes to the fact that creation is a cosmic temple of our God. Repetition of themes of a king of a temple. Here's a third one, the Word of God. The Word of God. Do we not see this as a theme all throughout Scripture? You can write down Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, after Moses gives the Hebrew Shema, the Shema, the Hebrew term, to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God, and you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind verses that follow that refer to putting the Word of God everywhere in our lives, on the doorposts, when we rise up, when we walk, when we're in the way. The Word of God is to be in our lives, to be meditated on, to be immersed in. The Word of God is central to what living a blessed life is to look like. You can write write down Joshua 1.8. As Joshua is instructing the Jews before they go into the promised land and cross the river Jordan, he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Psalm 1 is going to repeat this theme over and over as we'll unpack in more detail next week. Psalm 119, the, the longest book, uh, chapter in the Bible has every verse in it that somehow references the Word of God. By the way, if you want to do this, this might be a fun summer study. Which, by the way, did you see the title of the message? I lost with our creative team. I wanted this to be the summer of the Psalms, P.S. summer. They thought that would be too cheesy, but I got it in the title today. It'll be the last time you see it, so enjoy it. (laughs) But Psalm 119 Longest chapter in the Bible, all of those verses, some of them are very clear in how they reference the Bible, but take a study this summer and to see how does every verse somehow reference God's Word, and I think it'll be a blessing for you. God's Word is a theme that is all over the Psalms, but it is all over the Word. There there, there are other themes in Psalms, themes like the Exodus, themes like suffering, themes like Redemption, but but why is this? Well, when you think about movies from a certain genre or books from a certain era, don't you find yourself discovering the predictability? I mean, the 80s were so bad at this. But so are movies like series like Marvel. We we watched Quantum Mania. By the way, I have been so disappointed with Marvel. Like they started off so well and then but quantum mania has kind of re- renewed my faith, and I've heard Guardians of the Galaxy is good. But, but don't you start realizing they're predictable? And yeah, there's Kong or Kang. You can correct me after the service. Don't do it now. And he's, he's like the most powerful being, but it, I mean, it's the Ant-Man, right? They become predictable. Why? Because you start to see the development of patterns. You start to better understand the character. You start to better understand the author of these comic books and the the movies. And and you start to be drawn toward the philosophy of the movie series. You start to be drawn toward the author of the books or the films. And, And that's the principle that it's borrowing from the Bible. The Bible is providing repetition to draw us to the patterns of God to the character of God to the condition of the human heart to his plan for redemptive history so that by the time you get to John 4 and you see Jesus sitting with a woman at the well you realize wait a minute this has happened so many times in Genesis God has a tendency of doing this with women at the well The Psalms are a great opportunity for us To be reminded of the value of repetition, that the repetition of God's story points us to the character of God, the condition of the human heart, and his plan for redemptive history, the Psalms as repetition. Number three, the Psalms as resource. The Psalms as resource. The, The Psalms are undeniably, thoroughly biblical. I mean, when you read what the psalmists say about their life, about creation, it is an echo of what we see in the rest of scripture. And in this case, it was what was written in Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Everything that you see in the Psalms is consistent with everything that we see in Torah. And because Torah is God's word, it's consistent with the rest of God's word. It rehearses it. It rehashes it. It returns us to themes so that the reader of the psalm can be ensured that they have sure footing in this life. I had the privilege of playing baseball for over two decades, and I got to use a lot of equipment in those years. A lot of different bats, a lot of different gloves, a lot of different sunglasses. I highly recommend Oakley, not being paid by them. But what I learned through the years is that the one essential equipment piece are good shoes and the right shoes. You know, growing up, as a t-baller, we just wore sneakers. I remember my first pair of cleats. They were George Brett spot builds. But when I look at those and I see how quickly they wore out and that they were so close together, they wouldn't have served me well as I got to more advanced playing surfaces. If you're a catcher, certain shoe seems to be valuable. If you're a middle infielder, a certain shoe with cleats. If you're in the outfield and you're going to be on grass and uneven terrain, there are certain cleats and shoes that are better for you. If you're a base dealer, if you're a home run hitter, in the, in the summer you want shoes that can breathe. In the winter you want shoes, or in the cold, you don't play baseball, in the, well I did. In the winter, but, but you want shoes that insulated. The point is, is that you must have sure footing so that you can play the game. And friends... I think you can agree with this in life. There are a lot of different playing surfaces, aren't there? There are seasons of our life when we experience suffering. Seasons of our lives when we experience persecution. Seasons of our lives when anxiety grows. Seasons of our life when there are plenty. The Psalms are intended to give us the sure footing we need for all those seasons. What is the resource that gives us the sure footing? Well, you can write this down. It's the word of God. That's it. There's not a whole lot of mystery there. The sure-footed cleats are the word of God. But let's develop that a little bit more. Because again, I think we can very easily come to this word, this book, and first ask the question, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to me? And in so doing, we are reflecting our society. You've heard this phrase, have you not? Your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, but beloved, that is dangerous. Because your truth is gonna change, my truth is gonna change. The fact is, is we need truth that transcends you and me. We need truth that is consistent in Kansas City as well as Los Angeles. We need truth that is consistent no matter where we find ourselves on this globe, no matter where we find ourselves in history, we need a consistent, unchanging truth. And Psalms reminds us it's this book, but we've got to be able to accurately interpret it and understand it. And the Psalms assist us with this. Psalms accurately interpret God's word, his character, the human condition, and his plan for redemptive history. And no matter what you find in the Psalms, guess what? It is consistent with the rest of the Bible. Isn't it interesting that in the book of, the Reve- of Revelation, we've actually seen references to Psalms? Isn't it interesting that you can actually read through Job? I just finished Job this morning, and in God's providence, started Psalm 1 and 2 in my Bible reading plan. And Job actually has a couple phrases that sound like they're exactly the same phrases as Psalms. The Psalms are consistent with the rest of the Bible. The Bible is consistent with the rest of the Bible. Here's a quote. This is an important proof that God's word is the resource it says it is. The Bible claims to be the Word of God. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation claims to be the Word of God. The, the Bible claims to be the authoritative Word of God. Now, the danger to human flesh is then that, and that means we're accountable to it. Ugh. That's why some people try to have it both ways. Well, some of the Bible is God's Word, some of it is not, and that's not true. It is consistent with itself, it's consistent with its message and its interpretation of itself and by its authors that span thousands of years from varied backgrounds, experiences, and cultures and it affirms itself to be the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. This is the resource. And you're gonna pick up some classroom instruction for how to interpret the entire Bible through Psalms. But here's a little bonus. you also pick up tools of interpreting Scripture by looking at how the rest of Scripture refers to the Psalms, especially in the New Testament. As the apostles and Acts refer to the Psalms, they're teaching you how to interpret the Psalms. They're teaching you how to interpret the Bible. As you look at how Jesus references the Psalms, he's teaching you how to interpret the Psalms. He's teaching you how to interpret the Bible. This is a model that we are intended to. To follow. So there is a resource that is consistent, and it is God's word, and the psalm teaches us how to interpret it. But then, a second way it points us to the value of God's word is what does blessed living look like? It teaches us what blessed living looks like. Again, if we ascribe our own definition to the first word out of the gate in Psalm 1, we have the potential of being a flag in the wind going one way and another way based on circumstances and what others tell us. But blessed in Scripture means something so much greater than anything the world can offer. It means so much greater than just your circumstances going well. And the Psalms teach us What a truly blessed life looks like. The Psalms point us to the resource that gives us the only accurate understanding of God's character, the human heart condition, and God's plan for redemptive history. So the Psalms provide the benefit of a reminder, repetition, a resource, and the number four, the Psalms as rhetoric. Rhetoric. The term rhetoric is the art of effective or persuasive speaking or writing, especially the use of figures of speech and other compositional techniques. That's from the dictionary on my computer. (laughs) It is persuasion. The Psalms intend to persuade us. Persuade us to what? Well, right out the bat in Psalm 1 and 2, it's the theme that began in Genesis, That there are two groups of people. There are the wicked and there are the righteous. And how you can tell that you are wicked is unpacked in the Psalms. How you can tell that you are righteous is unpacked in the Psalms. And so is Psalm 2, the path toward righteousness, which is through the anointed one, which ultimately is Jesus Christ. It reminds me of the commentator's illustration as he was unpacking this. He was with some family and friends in South Dakota in the middle of the winter. And if you've ever lived up north in the middle of the winter, something crazy happens to lakes. They become so thick in their ice that you can drive semi-trucks on them. And he was out there with his family on one of these frozen lakes, and in the middle of this frozen lake was this massive boulder. One side had a gentle slope, which allowed you to climb up on it. The other side dropped off like a sheer cliff. And so this commentator held his little boy very close, and his friend said, Yup, that's a good idea. No, that's like my South Dakota accent. (laughs) But he said, if he falls off there, He's dead. And that's what the Psalms are about. The Psalms are actually pulling back the curtain on reality. See, the world says, there's no sheer cliff there. The world says, get close to the edge. There's a, there's a rush that you can gain from it. And the Psalms pull back the curtain and say, no, 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 no. That's, that's the wicked. That's the sinner's. That ends up in judgment. That ends up as chaff that gets blown by the wind of God's judgment. That's not what you want to pursue. The world is lying. But here's what true blessing looks like. He delights. Do you see it in verse 2? of psalm one? he delights in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night and that person will be like a tree planted by the streams of water. Now, Again, our expectation is that, oh, wow, bumper crop all the time. Everything's going to be great. No, no, no. It says the leaves will not wither. What does that imply? It implies that there's going to be drought, but you will not be derailed. The fruit will bear all the time. Is that what it says in the text? No. It says the fruit will bear in its season. In God's season, you will bear fruit. This is what true blessing looks like. It's not the pleasure island from Pinocchio. It's not the glitter of the world. It's not the every moment of your life you're pinching yourself that you're alive. That's not the fantasy that is the blessing that God promises us and directs us to through his word and through the Psalms. Psalms serve as the rhetoric to persuade us to pursue God's blessing, His definition, His anointed one, because when we do, we will experience true satisfaction. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? This is the framework of the Psalms. Yes, individual songs and poetry, but reminding us Providing repetition. Pointing us to the resource and then persuading us to embrace, to delight in, and to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to ask you some application questions. My first one is this. Are you in a place in your life where you need some rest? Whether it's physical, whether it's Emotional, whether it's spiritual, you're just, you're feeling dry, feeling burnt out, feeling like there's not a whole lot lot left in the tank. But my ask of you is, will you commit to engaging with this summer in the Psalms? You know, there's so many Psalms that are written from human beings that were in just a state such as that. They can relate to you, and you will be able to relate to them. But those psalmists were reminding, repeating, resourcing, and persuading to look to what truly lasts, what truly satisfies. Will you commit to engaging in this summer series at a heart level? Because my promise to you is that God is going to be who he says he's going to be tree will be planted by the streams of water, your leaf will not wither, and your fruit will be born in its proper season. Maybe you're in a place right now where you've been pursuing what the world offers, and maybe you're finally at that point where you're willing to acknowledge that it does not satisfy. It's empty every day, striving after the wind. Maybe today the gospel has been presented to you that the things of God's word are actually what he designed us to be satisfied by. And maybe today through the songs and through the preaching, you've come to a place where you're able to acknowledge that God is perfect and his demand of moral perfection from you can never be achieved. But because of the completed work of Christ, a way has been made and you are ready to respond by putting your faith in Christ. Asking him to forgive you of your sins and committing your life to him. Friend, do that today. We'll be members of our prayer team at the ends of the platform that we'd love to be able to direct you to next steps. And then, friend, maybe you're in that season where your leaf is vibrant. Maybe your fruit is just a bumper crop. I pray that this message has given you an opportunity to be reminded that that's through Him. It's not because of your talents. Ultimately, even your talents were given you by God. Even the breath that you're using to use those talents is given by God, and I hope this has drawn your attention northward, vertically to the God who is behind this all and elicited within you light and a worship that will motivate you this week until we're able to come together again to set our minds collectively on our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for this beginning of a summer of psalms. I thank you for the way you've worked in my heart to move past a place where the psalms were difficult, past a place where the psalms wouldn't be what I would choose to study to see the treasure that they are each of us as we commit this summer to studying and understanding and delighting in them so that we can live more victoriously the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when we do, not only will we benefit, but we will reflect him more, prayerfully attract others to him. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And All God's people said, amen.